from the book of Job, chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 1. Job, chapter 3, reading from verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, A boy is born, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included amongst the days of the year. Nor be entered in any of the months. May the night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse a levian, may, it mor- may, may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain, and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me, to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth, and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me, and breasts that I might be nursed? For I know I will be lying down in peace, I will be asleep and at rest. With kings and counsellors of the earth, who builds for themselves places now lying in ruins, with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver's shout. The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. Why is light given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in from sighing comes to me instead of food? My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in your word we find the good, the bad, and the ugly. We find all of life represented. And we pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you might encourage us, that you might pour out your spirit upon us, and that you might speak to us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In case you haven't uh, gathered, we are in the story of Job. We, uh, We are living in the storms of life. And, uh, as I mentioned last week, the story of Job is a long story, uh, 42 chapters in the book, and we're uh, looking at it over, over a six-week period, and we're encouraging people uh, to read the book a chapter at a day. There's 42 chapters, 
six weeks, seven days in a week. It's a, it's a chapter a day, and uh, I encourage you to do that if you've not already started. It's not too late to join in. Do uh, do look at the uh, the uh, the chapters of Job because we're not going to be able to read all 42 chapters in 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 six weeks. I'm not going to be able to speak about every verse in every chapter. So uh, if you read it, you'll familiarise yourself with the story, and uh, hopefully you will find. It helpful when it comes to the Sunday morning service. Uh, last week we were looking at uh, uh, chapters 1 and 2, the calm before the storm. And uh, we saw this picture that was painted of Job, of a, of a wonderful tranquil scene where, where Job is the greatest man in the east and he has all these uh, uh, sheep and donkeys and servants and children. And it's just this perfect picture that's painted. Uh, and we learnt the most important lesson, uh, that Job was an innocent man, described in the text as blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. And then last week we looked at the storm clouds gathered and we were taken into this heavenly scene where there was this uh, uncomfortable conversation between God and Satan. And uh, everything that was going to happen is explained, the reasons why were answered in those opening two chapters uh, but only the writer and the readers know this. The characters obviously know nothing of this conversation that took place. And then, of course, the unexpected storm struck and uh, Job is robbed of uh, all his children, uh, all his sheep and camels, his livelihood. Everything is taken off him as one messenger after another comes to bring bad news to Job. This week... Uh, we're looking after the storm. The storm has struck and uh, we join Job now after the storm in Job chapter 3. Do you need to give you a storm warning? Remember we said we'd show you this uh, little symbol uh, just to warn you uh, of something bad that's uh, about to happen. You know, like on the, on the weather forecasts, uh, they like to warn people when a storm is coming. Uh, this is not a very pleasant chapter. This is not a very pleasant chapter. I might suggest that this, you're not going to hang any of these verses on your fridge door. You're not going to uh, uh, be quoting these verses as encouragements uh, to your friends and, and family. These, this is, is not a happy chapter uh, of the book. And I, I just warn you that in case you hadn't picked it up as we, as we read through uh, these verses. In fact, um, Charles Swindle in his commentary on Job, he, said, he describes this chapter as the mournful wail of a miserable man. The mournful wail of a miserable man. So just to warn you that uh, this uh, is one of those chapters that maybe we don't turn to very often. Um, but it's not alone. And uh, there are other chapters like it in the Bible outside of the story of Job. And so, uh, a couple of other things you need to know. The Satan disappears for good. He's there in chapter 1 and 2. You won't hear anything else about him. You might want to cheer at that moment. That's kind of uh, one of the high points. <laughs> hey, he's gone. And uh, nothing else is, is spoken about him. And uh, his, his part in, 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 the, in the story, whilst influential maybe, is really quite small. And of course, at the end of chapter 2, three friends show up. Three friends show up. And uh, these are the three friends. Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. And of course... They sat with Job uh, for seven days and said absolutely nothing. Apparently in, in Jewish uh, custom, uh, 
there's, uh, there's a Jewish word that, that describes, describes this. And this is what people still do. They have seven days uh, of silence uh, with those who are grieving. And uh, a custom that is, is still carried out today and finds its root uh, in this story of Job. And so we're after the storm has struck. And uh, really what we're doing in this chapter is we are assessing the storm damage. You know, you've all seen the pictures, haven't you, on television when, uh, when a hurricane strikes or, you know, a tsunami. And we see those dreadful pictures of the aftermath where everything's just been washed away. And, uh, and, and you see these pictures. And then, of course, the news story moves on and, and we never really find out what happens to those situations. How people are able to maybe rebuild their lives or not, as the case may be. Because the news moves on. And in a sense, in this in this, uh, in this chapter, we're kind of spending a little time just assessing the storm damage about what has happened. And uh, first of all, Job breaks the silence. The tradition was that when you were visiting the grieving person, that you couldn't speak until they spoke. That you had to wait until they spoke before you could respond. And uh, I don't know, it must have been a long seven days. I don't know about most of us, we, we struggle with... Uh, with seven minutes or seven seconds of silence. Imagine seven days of silence. I know some of you are into retreats. I can remember at college when we had a, a quiet day and uh, somebody came to leaders in, in retreat and they got this idea that we were going to have a quiet lunch where nobody spoke and of course the students just couldn't cope. You know, some people just had to walk out of the, of the, of, of the dinner hall. They couldn't cope with the silence. And what is it about silence that we don't like? What is it about silence that we don't like? Are we uncomfortable with our own presence? Are we uncomfortable with that silence? Well, the three friends sit with Job for seven days in silence and then Job breaks the silence. After this, Job opens his mouth. He opens his mouth. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Cursed the day of his birth. Three things. Job regrets his birth. He regrets the day that he was born. May the day of my birth perish and the night it was said a boy is born. Um, he's wanting that day to be wiped out from the memory of days. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, certain dates. You know, and you only have to mention the date. And we all remember what happened. Don't if I say, you know, September the 11th, 2001... Uh, straight away, we all know what happened on that day. And, uh, of course, we all have our own personal dates, don't we? Um, that we remember. I've got a whole list of them. I was sharing last week one of the, one of the reasons why Job became uh, a real meaningful and my favourite book in the Old Testament is because, to some extent, um, we as a family have experienced some of the things that Job went through, not the, not the great extremes, but some of the experiences. And I was sharing last week about, you know, the fact that our first child was diagnosed uh, with an incurable disease. And so, you know, we've got these dates. We went on to have a second child who, uh, unfortunately, was uh, diagnosed with the same um, disease and, uh, and uh, eventually died. So we've got all these dates in our calendar uh, that are painful dates, you know, the dates of their births, the dates of the anniversary of their deaths, and they're there on the calendar. And Job has this date that he wants to be wiped out, and that's the day he was born. He's saying, may it be struck from the calendar, because it's such a painful thing that I'm now experiencing. I wish I had never been born. He regrets 
the day of his birth. Job wishes he'd died at birth. He, he wishes that, uh, that the moment he'd breathed his first, that, uh, that nobody had fed him or given him water and he'd just been left to die. And then uh, Job now longs to die. Not great points to preach on, you might think. <laughs> Not much encouragement there, folks, is there? You know, uh, regretting the day of his birth, wishing he'd died at birth, and uh, longing uh, for the day of his death. Do you get the idea that Job is at the end of his tether? And, uh, of course, some of us know what that's like. You know, some of us know those uh, dark and dismal experiences uh, where there seems to be no hope, where everything seems to be lost, when our world comes crashing down upon us and we think, what's it all about? And that's where Job is. John Hartley says this, he says, these are the harshest words Job utters against himself. Against himself, notice, not against God. In the entire book, they startle us. The friends are shocked. They fear that his faith in God has melted into distrust. <laughs> and who could blame him? Uh, you know, but, uh, but there we go. Job breaks the silence. It's a lament which belongs to other biblical psalms of grief. You know, if you look in the psalms, um, there's certain psalms that are just as, as, as downcast as, as the things that Job writes. And they're called psalms of lament. And if you looked up in, in the list of psalms, because there's psalms of praise, there's psalms of lament, there's all sorts of different psalms. But the most psalms fall into that category, psalms of lament. The Jewish people were good at lamenting. And they had good reason to be. And you know, sometimes in church, it's something that we're not very good at. We don't like it, do we? We're not very comfortable with lament. We much prefer it when the band plays up, you know, a, a, a good praise song that we can, we can feel joyful about. And, and sometimes, you know, one of the mistakes that many churches make, not just ours, is we don't give room for lament. We don't give room for people to cry out to God, not in praise, but in pain and sorrow. Because it's okay to do that. And one of the things that we learn in the book of Job is that it's okay. You know, that God can handle that. He can handle our questions. He can handle our laments. He can handle our grief. Even if those around us can't. Job breaks the mould. Job breaks the mould. The, the Job, you don't want to think of a, a man as great as Job in chapters 1 and 2. He's the same man as you meet in chapter 3. Why? Because we have a skewed idea that anybody who walks as closely to God lives happily ever after. After all, God loves you. And has a wonderful plan for your life. You see, we were marvelling at the end of Job chapters 1 and 2, weren't we? At his wonderful response. You know, when he says, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And we like that, don't we? We love it. When people, you know, are strong and are stiff up a lip. You know, we like that. And we get them up on the platform to give testimonies about how they've coped with terrible tragedies in their lives. And so different is the Job that we meet in chapter 3. Some commentators suggest that, that this mustn't be the same Job. It can't possibly. How can it possibly be the same man who was so steadfast in chapters 1 and 2 but seems to be breaking down in chapter 3? Do you know, I thank God that there is a chapter 3 in Job. Because the Bible presents us with real earthly characters. The biblical heroes are not people that we can't identify with. 
They're not people that we can't identify. They're not so wonderful and so perfect that we think, I could never be like that. I can identify much more with the Job of chapter 3 than I can of the Job at the end of chapter 1 and 2. Because when life goes wrong, when our world caves in, this is how most of us feel. This is how we feel. And here we have a response. Job breaks them all. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised really, because if any, any of you know anything about the grieving process, um, you know, this is what people go through. When, when you first hear the news, you, you receive some bad news, and there's a, there's a time of, of a kind of numb shock and silence as you just kind of recoil and you can't really take it in. And there's a kind of a numbness. And very often this is followed, uh, you know, by an angry outburst. You know, why is this happening to me? And you get angry about what's happening. It doesn't seem fair. Other people seem to, to get off lightly compared with what your experiences. And then, of course, in the rest of the chapters, uh, you know, chapters 4 through to 37, Job has his conversation and it's a questioning and trying to work out what's going on. And this is actually a, a normal process that people go through, not always in the same stages, uh, but this is a normal process. So we shouldn't be shocked that in Job's chapters 1 and 2, Job seems to be able to respond initially, you know, pretty remarkably, and then with this time of silence, and we shouldn't be shocked by Job's depression about the fact that the realisation of all that's happening to him has sunk in. The Job we meet in chapter 3 may bear little resemblance to the Job in the first two chapters, but it is the same guy. This is the same Job. It's the same man. God's testing is not to find out whether Job can sit unmoved like a stone. The test is about whether his faith will stand or whether it will fall. And we don't like that either, do we? But whenever we face difficult situations, whenever we suffer, it does become a test of our faith, whether we like it or not. As I said before last week, I'm not suggesting that every act of suffering is the result of a heavenly council meeting, and it would be unkind and untrue to suggest that. And I reinforce that, that that isn't the case at all. Um, but it does become a test of whether our faith can stand the, ta- the tests and the trials that sometimes we have to go through. So Job breaks the mould and then Job breaks down. His past is lost. His future is empty as far as he's concerned. And all he knows in the present is pain. All he knows in his presence is pain. And he breaks down. And this is what happens to some people, isn't it? We know it's happened to some of you. It's happened to some of our friends, it's happened to some of our family. That the weight of what is happening is just so unbearable that we actually break down. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, only turmoil. Job breaks down. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. And again... You know, David Kleins, he says this, in this speech we are suddenly plunged out of the epic grandeur of the epilogue from the external description of suffering to Job's inner experience. We get an insight 
into what Job is going through. You see, at the beginning of the book, in the opening chapters, Job's faith and, and belief and his experience of life are in complete harmony. Job, the greatest man in all the East, with all the children and the cattle and the servants, has a perfect relationship with God, and his, ma- and his life matches it. But now the turmoil for Job is the fact that he still has this belief in God, but his personal experiences no longer matches his faith in God. His belief and understanding of God are no longer equated with what's happening to him. And this is the turmoil that Job faces, but it's also the turmoil that we face. You know, if we're honest, we believe, you know, that that we're on God's side. And that God is on our side. And there's a certain expectation, you know, that God will deliver the goods when we're going through tough times. And the tension comes when, like Job, our experience in life doesn't match our understanding and our belief in God. We believe that God should rescue us. We believe that God should save us. We believe that God should deliver us. And of course, there's lots of passages in scriptures that we can quote, um, you know, when we're feeling good. And when God is rescuing us and saving us and delivering us. And everything is great. But here, in Job chapter 3, we meet somebody in the midst of pain and turmoil. And we see the inner experience of Job. Here we are invited to view the man Job in the violence of his grief. And unless we encounter this man with these feelings, we have no right to listen in on the debates that will follow. We must always read the book of Job as a drama of the soul. And that's why it's good that we're spending time looking at the whole of the book of Job. Because it would be very easy, you know, in in one sermon to kind of, you know, paint the picture and to sweep quickly to the happy ending. Because believe it or not, the story of Job does have a happy ending. Hooray! Hallelujah. Uh, But sometimes we rush too quickly to the happy ending. And we don't allow ourselves to travel with Job through the difficulties. And isn't that what we do with people? You know, are you feeling better? Have you got over it? To the sort of things we, we, we say to people. Because we want them to rush and to be okay. Because we're not comfortable. Let's be honest. We're not comfortable when people say, well, actually, I'm not okay. I haven't had a great week. Life is pretty lousy. We don't like it when people say that. And very often what we do is we fall into the trap of trying to rush people to getting back to normal for our convenience and feeling of well-being because we feel uncomfortable when people start to question God, when people get angry with God, when people say, it isn't fair. I've done nothing to deserve what's happening to me. Why is it happening to me? Why is my neighbour living a happy, carefree life and I'm getting all this rubbish? And one of the lessons that Job teaches us is that we need to travel this journey with Job and we need to travel this journey with one another. And sometimes it's painful to be around people that are suffering. It's difficult. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. There's a sense of guilt about, you know, gosh, these people are really suffering and actually my life's pretty good. And, uh, and that's why we feel uncomfortable, because we recognise the unfairness. 
And maybe it starts us asking questions about God and things that, that make us feel com- uncomfortable. And that's why we kind of we just want everything to get back to normal and say, yeah, I'm okay, you're okay. And then we can just carry on as if nothing had happened. And so often we sweep these things under the carpet and we don't talk about these painful experiences. And so everybody else thinks everything's okay. And many people, you know, carry on struggling. And they smile, the forced smile, because they feel that's what is expected from them. But Job teaches us something about what to do when life goes wrong. About how to cope. About how to express our anger and grief. And Job does curse the day that he was born. Notice, even in, 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 his, in his worst moments, and this is probably the lowest, you'll be pleased to know, uh, moment of Job's life, he still remains faithful to God in all this. And it's important to, to, to point that out, because do you remember the accusation in chapters 1 and 2, that, you know, if God removed all these things around him, the Satan accused God of building a hedge, And it's interesting that Job actually uses that same phrase. He says, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? And the hedge that Job has experienced now is not the hedge that the Satan was talking about in chapters 1, this wonderful, nice, neat hedge. This hedge that he's got now is all thornly and prickly. And it scratches and it hurts. And Job curses the day of his birth. And he says, may those who curse the days... That's a great job, isn't it? Who are those, I wonder? In verse 8, may those who curse days. What's the job description for that? Curse the day. Not a great job, is it? (laughs) But there we have it. And so, Job breaks down. What I feared had come upon me. What I dreaded had happened to me. You know, it wasn't that Job wasn't aware that in the world things did go wrong. It's always that it had happened to somebody else. It had been somebody else who had experienced all the hardships. And, you know, in a sense, that's true of many of us, that that the the suffering that we see, you know, when it's at a distance, we can cope with it. We can cope with it. We know that there are children starving in Africa and other parts of the world. We know that there are places where you just wouldn't want to live because there's wars and because there's famine and because there's storms that come and, and wreck the place. And we know about that, but it's always happening somewhere, you know, far removed from our situation and we can cope and we can pray and we can send money and we can do all sorts of things to help but it's happening somewhere there but it's when it happens to us that the rubber hits the road and of course this was the Satan's second uh, attack on Job you know he says yeah it's okay God you've, you've attacked those things but actually attack the man himself and see if he still stands firm or whether he curses you and of course Job in the midst of depression and turmoil the anger and the questions what he feared had come upon him what he dreaded had happened to me um, he still doesn't curse God curses the day of his own birth but he doesn't actually curse God the question that we await the answer as Job breaks the silence, as he, as he breaks the mould, as he breaks down, is will there be anybody there to pick him up? Will there be anybody there to pick him up? 
And that's what we are going to be looking at as we, as we enter into the conversation with Job's friends. Will they be able to pick him up? Will they be there for him? And just as we were saying in Job's chapters 1 and 2, we get this picture of an innocent sufferer. And we see an example of someone who was to follow as the fact that Jesus was an innocent man who suffered. We also see in Job's lament something replicated in Jesus himself. The human Jesus on the cross agonizes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Jesus himself knew something of that inner turmoil when life has thrown its worst at you and Jesus stands there nailed to the cross. He experiences that same grief and anguish and inner turmoil. And so when we come to God and when we come to Jesus, we come to somebody who completely understands. And Job here has to hold on to his faith despite the circumstances that he's experiencing. And sometimes, friends, that's what we have to do. Because sometimes life gets very messy. And sometimes God appears to be absent. And this is where faith kicks in. Because then we have to hold on to the promises of scriptures. Even when the evidence before us suggests something different. And of course, as the friends visit Job, what they see is a broken man. Those people around the cross on that Good Friday, what they saw was a broken man. They thought defeat. They thought it was over. But thanks be to God. Eventually he does give us the victory. But not always in this lifetime. Not always in this lifetime. But we do have a God that gives us that promise that I will be with you. Always. That I will never let go. I know this has been a not an easy chapter. And I know for many of you, some of you, this is where you, you are or you have been. And for some of us, it's where we will be. But let's cling on to that promise that God never lets go.